Welcome to the Knowledge Nuggets podcast hosted by John Ingram. John, floor is yours. All right, guys, glad to be back. So let's see, uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy today's Knowledge Nuggets. Let's see. All right, guys, so we are episode number 14, December 2nd, 2021. And I'm your host, John Ingram of John Ingram's Knowledge Nuggets. And as this episode, as all previous and future, I hope to have no disclosures. So, Knowledge Nuggets, we have a motto at Knowledge Nuggets because it's a short, sweet nugget of knowledge that you're going to get, and we hope that you can just spend a little time and expand your mind. So this week's topic is something called haptoglobin. And as you guys know, if you've never seen the show before, we try to take a noteworthy topic each session. We try to give you something that you can take home knowledge-wise with you. So if you see a little gold nugget in the upper right corner of the screen there, that'll be a snapshot slide that you can take a Photoshop up and take home with you, and hopefully tomorrow you will be a better clinician with that little piece of knowledge with you. So hopefully it's just about 12 or so minutes. Then we do a surprise topic, something we call a gem of the week. You never know what that's going to be. Just a few minutes on that, and then panel discussion and questions. And if anybody out there ever has any questions or comments, and I'm certainly open to new comments about future shows, please email me at john.ingram at perfweb.us. All right, so guys, what is haptoglobin? Not something that I think most schools talk about in the education. I know it wasn't part of mine, but haptoglobin, we abbreviate this HP in this lecture, so look for that. Haptoglobin is a protein, and it's encoded by the haptoglobin gene that we have. Now, in blood plasma, free hemoglobin is released into the plasma, and it has a high affinity for the haptoglobin, or maybe we should say the haptoglobin has a very high affinity for the hemoglobin, because this haptoglobin, the purpose is for it to bind with the free hemoglobin. Now, after our red cells hemolyze from age, from natural aging, or from whatever reason, the haptoglobin is in the plasma, and it immediately combines with this free hemoglobin, and thereby it eliminates or pretty much uh, inhibits or eliminates the deleterious oxidative activity that would happen had the haptoglobin not bind up this free hemoglobin. So the haptoglobin-hemoglobin complex is then removed by the reticuloendothelial system. We're going to talk about all this a little bit more as we, as we go. And also now, haptoglobin is produced mostly by the liver, but it also is uh, found in other tissues, like the skin, lung, and kidney produce a little bit of it. But mostly, it's produced by the liver. And as I said, the ha- and so the haptoglobin gene itself is actually expressed in our fat tissue, in the adipose tissue. Something interesting about that. So, what is the role of haptoglobin? Well, haptoglobin is an acute phase protein, and its function is to bind with free hemoglobin. Now, this action prevents the loss of iron that would normally happen if if haptoglobin did not bind with hemoglobin, and it also prevents the renal damage. All of us are familiar with when we have a lot of hemolysis going on, one of our big concerns is that that free hemoglobin basically ends up going into the kidneys, and we often see red or or wine-colored urine because of that. 
So haptoglobin itself also is an antioxidant. It has antibacterial activity, and it helps modulate many aspects of our acute uh, inflammatory phase response. So it has some side benefits as well. So now, what is haptoglobin? What is a normal range? Well, if you were to measure it in the laboratory, and you can do that, and you, and you should do that from time to time, it will range from 41 to 165 milligrams per deciliter, or some laboratories, and it varies from hospital to hospital, could measure it in milligrams per liter, which would be 410 to 1650. Now, normal value ranges may vary slightly among your laboratory. You might want to contact your laboratory to find out what they use for a normal haptoglobin range. And it is important to measure this from time to time. I'm going to discuss that. So, go ahead. So, what happens now is, what does the haptoglobin indicate? So we can run a haptoglobin test, as I, as I mentioned, and we can detect whether, a lot, whether you have hemolytic anemia or another type of anemia. So let's say you have a low hemoglobin, a low H&H, &H, and you suspect that you have some type of hemolysis going on. You just don't measure the level of your free hemoglobin in the, in the blood. You need to measure several other parameters and that will point you in the direction and actually indicate what your hemolysis is coming from, if indeed you even have hemolysis. Maybe you just have a poor production of red cells. So the haptoglobin is one test as part of a panel to, to, to determine what is going on with your low H&H. &H. So haptoglobin may also determine the exact cause of why your red blood cells are being destroyed, i.e. the hemolysis. So the cl clinical significance of haptoglobin, now the reticular endothelial system, uh, as I said, will remove this haptoglobin-hemoglobin complex from the body. So if you have a high amount of, of uh, hemolysis, then the, the consumption of haptoglobin results in decreased haptoglobin levels in cases of high hemolysis. So when you have a, a high hemolytic situation, let's just say you have a clot in the centrifugal pump on your ECMO, for example. We see this all the time. And we keep adding blood, and we don't know why. Where, where, what's happening? Why do we have uh, hemolysis going on? And we know we have hemolysis because we have a high free hemoglobin. Well, then we see, and we test our haptoglobin levels, and we see a very low haptoglobin level. That is very indicative also that you're having a hemolytic event because um, it's depleting your haptoglobin levels. Mm. Go ahead. So now, also now on a clinical significance level, haptoglobin sequesters the iron within the hemoglobin, and this prevents the iron-utilizing bacteria from benefiting from the hemolysis. So if you have some type of bacteria in your system, maybe you're, you've got a slight exposure, or maybe you're already infected, if this haptoglobin didn't sequester this hemoglobin, that free iron would greatly be like fertilizer to that bacteria. So haptoglobin has a very good event, uh, benefit by, by capturing this free hemoglobin. But it's, and so therefore it's theorized that because of this, haptoglobin has evolved into an acute phase protein. So when we have an inflammatory response, a lot of times that is caused by an infection, the haptoglobin levels increase in hopes to uh, capture any of the free hemoglobin that may be out there and help reduce 
and help uh, mutate, you know, or mod modulate the bacteria from capturing any additional iron and, and, and acting as fertilizer. So now the haptoglobin prevents free hemoglobin also from passing through the glomerulus, what I was saying earlier, where it causes damaging renal, renal effects. So before we have uh, any type of hemolysis, guys, as you know, our red blood cells have an approximate age of 90 days, and millions of them per second are being released into our system, and at the same exact uh, amount, millions are reaching their old age and dying. So therefore, we have homeostasis with our hematocrit and hemoglobin staying the same. Well, where is all those millions per second of dying red blood cells and hemolyzing red blood cells, how are they being managed by the body? They're being managed by the haptoglobin, which is why we don't have uh, uh, damage to our kidneys going on normally because of this, and we don't have red urine. But when your haptoglobin gets depleted, which can happen very quickly, and you have hemolysis, now you have the free hemoglobin going through the glomerulus, going through the process that the kidneys try to process it, and that causes damage to your kidneys. So now what are causes of low haptoglobin? I've already touched on a little bit. Decreased or absent haptoglobin levels are seen in the following conditions. As I mentioned, it could be intravascular hemolysis in conditions like spirocytosis or pyruvate kinase deficiency, autoimmune hemolytic anemia, transfusion reactions would be, and also we know on bypass and on ECMO, we could have mechanical reasons. But you also can have extravascular hemolysis as an intraperitoneal hemorrhage. Now, you would think that in extravascular hemolysis, you would not see a decrease in haptoglobin. And that is largely true. In severe cases of extravascular hemolysis, it will eventually make its way into the system, and you will see a drop in haptoglobin. So this is one reason why the haptoglobin test is important. You could be having a lot of drop in your H&H, &H, your hemoglobin and hematocrit, and say, hey, we have hemolysis going on, but then you see that your haptoglobin levels are normal and they haven't dropped. So that tells you, hey, something outside the intravascular, hemolytic-wise, may be happening. So this is so you see the value of this haptoglobin test now. So the physiology of low haptoglobin, the haptoglobin is being consumed faster than the liver can produce it. So the result is a decrease in your haptoglobin levels. Low haptoglobin levels may be a sign of an anemic disorder. In other words, you may have a disorder where you're, you're just not producing enough haptoglobin, as in liver disease and so on. So what about having a high, high, high haptoglobin, higher than normal range? Well, the increased production of haptoglobin is an acute response to inflammation. So you may just be having uh, an acute inflammatory response and you test your haptoglobin, you see it's actually higher than normal. Haptoglobin is an acute phase protein stimulated by any inflammatory process, infection, burns, major crushed injury, allergy, etc. So also, increased haptoglobin levels may indicate an acute rheumatic disease, as you guys know that's high inflammatory, and myocardial infarction, again, this is an acute response, your haptoglobin levels may increase, ulcerative colitis, or a persistent infection. So all of these things are inflammatory, and haptoglobin has evolved over, over, the, over the centuries and uh, years of our evolution to become uh, part of the, uh, 
uh, inflammatory response defense. So what is the test protocol? Like, like when should we test for this? Measuring the level of haptoglobin is ordered whenever a patient exhibits signs of anemia. We're having problems having keeping our hemoglobin and hematocrit up. Such conditions could be pallor, fatigue, shortness of breath, jaundice, dark colored urine. ECMO could be on there. The test is part of a hemolytic anemia battery of tests, which also would include, so you'd have your haptoglobin test, you'd do a reticulocyte account, a, blood, a peripheral blood smear, direct antiglobin uh, test, and bilirubin test. These are all going to help you indicate where your anemia may be coming from. So now, primarily, you're going to be talking about intravascular hemolysis, where so then we're going to talk about how to interpret this battery of tests that I just listed there. Four different interpretations primarily. So how would you diagnose that this is an intravascular hemolytic problem that we're having? Well, first of all, you'd have anemia. That's going to be true with almost all these. So you have a drop in your red cell count or your H&H. &H, and you have a decreased haptoglobin. So now you know you have an intravascular hemolytic situation because you're dropping your red cell count and the haptoglobin is capturing all these hemolytic cells that are happening intravascular. So you have a drop in your haptoglobin level, but then you have an increase in your reticulocyte account because what's happening is the reticular endothelial system has to phagocytize this haptoglobin hemoglobin complex. And so it's been ramped up. So, so this interpretation is hemolysis within the vasculature, haptoglobin being consumed, and your reticular endothelial system being activated. Now, what about extravascular hemolysis? Well, you'd have a drop in your red cell count, you have anemia, but now you have a normal haptoglobin. It's not being consumed because it's extravascular. And you also have an increased reticular side account because, again, your RES system has been ramped up. So this tells you that you have hemolysis outside the vasculature and your haptoglobin is not being consumed. So that's extravascular hemolysis. So what about um, just that you don't have hemolysis at all? You just have a low red blood cell production. So you have anemia going on, but you have a normal haptoglobin. You have a normal reticulocyte count. So that hasn't been ramped up. So you have an anemia not due to hemolysis. It's due to a low red blood cell production, for example, aplastic anemia. And then your, your reticular system actually, in this case, has not been activated because it's normal. Mm -hmm. So what about the fourth thing? So you have failure to produce haptoglobin. So you've done a haptoglobin test. It comes back low, but you have a normal red blood cell count in hemoglobin hematocrit, but you have a decreased haptoglobin. You have a normal reticulocyte count. This is the liver failing to produce adequate haptoglobin. So you see how valuable this test can be when you have uh, anemia. So now, guys, the gem of the week. And the gem of the week is something that we never know what it's going to be. And this, ep this week's episode of the gem of the week is, and as I said, could be just about anything. We've gone through this uh, routine before, but I've kind of summarized it here. It could be uh, just about anything, but this week, the COVID-19 variant Omicron that's been in the news here like crazy for like the last four or five days. I wanted to bring this to light and, and shed some truth 
about this particular variant. We're having countries being shut down. Uh, we're having all kinds of um, instituted mandates and things happening because of the fear of this variant that's popped up in South Africa. So let's look at what's really happening. So this is called the Omicron variant. There's the uh, uh, variant itself, B.1.529, was first reported to the World Health Organization in South Africa just uh, a week or so ago, the 24th of uh, November. In recent weeks, infections have increased steeply in that country, coinciding with the detection of the Omicron variant. So in other words, they've had an increase in infections, and a lot of them have been this particular variant. So the first known Omicron infection was just several weeks ago on November 9th. It was the first one that we, uh, the known one that we first detected. So this has only been a few weeks old. So this variant does have a unique constellation of more than 30 mutations, some of which of these mutations are, are rise for concern. That doesn't mean it's going to be good or bad, but some of these mutations, from what we know about COVID-19, are a little bit uh, eyebrow-raising, let's just say. Preliminary evidence suggests an increased re risk of reinfection with this variant as compared to other variants of concern. Number of cases in Omicron is increasing in nearly all areas in South Africa. The World Health Organization has said it is not yet clear whether Omicron is more transmissible, transmissible than other variants or if it even causes more severe disease, but it has now been detected in about half a dozen or so countries, and we're hearing about more countries that are finding a couple cases here and there. It's still largely in South Africa, but, you know, we have a very small world nowadays. So Omicron, dubbed a variant of concern, a lot of times they abbreviate that, abbreviate that as a, a VOC, but a variant of concern, mm -hmm. last week by the World Health Organization, that it is potentially more contagious than previous variants. And this is just based on the anatomy of the uh, mutations and all the, the different things that they're seeing on it, that it does have some concerns on the anatomical level in the, under the microscope. So now let's look at the most important part of this. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist or an anti-alarmist. This is from Dr. Angelique Koetsi, the chairman of the South African Medical Association Stated, and this is just a few days ago, so far patients have not reported a loss of smell or taste, and there has been no major drop in their oxygen levels and no prominent symptoms. This is a quote. And she says, symptoms of Omicron have so far been mild and have been largely treated at home. Hmm. So this is why I wanted to bring this up today, because there's been this absolute hysteria that for some unknown reason has swept the world over this particular variant. But when you go to the actual medical director of the country of South Africa, this is what she has stated, and this is only about 42 to 72 hours ago, that this is what she is saying is that this has been an extremely benign variant thus far. The alarm has come in when you look under it under a microscope and you see the mutations that it's gone through, there are several on there that have uh, been of concern on some of the other variants. But this is where we're at with this particular Omicron. All right, guys, so any comments and questions, future topics, or questions about a previous show or this one, 
Again, please email me at john.ingram at perfweb.us. And I think the next slide we're going to be open to discussing haptoglobin and the COVID-19 variant Omicron. Thank you guys for listening. Oh, thanks, John. Very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, excellent on the uh, haptoglobin. I, I don't think I have ever asked for a haptoglobin to be run. I've, I've, if I'm concerned about hemolysis, usually, because I'll, I'll have that happen. I've, I've had that happen before where I've gone into the ICU and take over an ECMO shift, whatever, and the nurse says, yeah, the urine, they're, they're bleeding from nowhere, but they're bleeding from their, their, yeah. their Foley. Well, how do you know that's blood? Well, it looks like blood is red. I said, well, how do you know it's not hemoglobin? You know, let's do an LDH. Mm -hmm. So I'll usually run an LDH, but I could run a haptoglobin, and if it's very, very low, right. then that would be, you know, so it could be a concurrent test to run an LDH and right. a um, and a uh, haptoglobin or a plasma-free hemoglobin. For whatever reason, we don't do those very often anymore. Yeah. I don't, you can't get them at the hospitals. So we ask for a plasma-free hemoglobin. They're like, huh? Really? And uh, yeah, I know it's strange, but uh, but you know, we 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 just deal with what we deal with, right? We just have an alternative to everything that goes on. And I, you know, of course, I'm so I'm so burned out on COVID, but we keep talking about it. And, uh, of course, you know, I, I don't want to be, really, I don't want to be political. I'm going to do my best not to be. But, you know, we're depending on the comments by uh, this uh, physician from South Africa. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's not to say that they're, they're right, right? You know, this is the problem that we're having is I've been wrong. We're having a meeting today, as a matter of fact. We've had several meetings. And one of the things that I've said is that I have been wrong about where COVID was going now three times. Mm -hmm. I don't, and, and I've been wrong in the wrong way. So I was wrong in believing it was going to come and it was going to go. Okay, it came back again, it's going to be gone. It, it came back again and it's gone. I'm not going to be wrong that way again. I'm going to assume it's going to come back with a vengeance. And I, I think that may be part of it, is that we have been, I have at least, been wrong every single time, and uh, we've been hit with it very hard, and it stretched our system to a, uh, to a near-breaking point. We didn't break, but, uh, but we got frayed, and uh, we, I don't think we can afford that again. So I think a lot of what we're seeing is because of that. And then, you know, looking at the uh, genetic makeup of this virus, you know, and the differences, you know, because they skipped a whole bunch of letters because there are so many differences in the spike protein. And I think that's what the issue is. From what I'm understanding is that the spike protein is what the mRNA vaccines were predicated on. That's what the target is. That's what they recognize. And, right. And that's exactly. And that those changes in that spike protein has now resulted in a very strong potential, not realized yet, but strong potential that the vaccines will essentially be rendered ineffective because it's not going to recognize well, that. Well, I think what I had read was not that it would be ineffective or even a strong potential, 
but it could be a very slow responder to recognizing that spike because it is altered, not that it wasn't going to recognize it at all. And, Fair enough, yes, and I agree with you, yes. And that's why they were, you know, all the, the, the vaccine manufacturers are looking at, do we need to increase the concentration of the booster so that it will be quicker to react um, because it's not an exact match, if mm -hmm. you will. But, um, you know, we're vaccinated against lots of different things, and it, these things are, many of them, still out there. And viruses change. They do. That's what they do. So I think people are panicking more that there's been this great uh, improvement and because of the vaccinations and because, you know, we sort of run the course on some of these uh, people getting sick and mm. maybe the more immunocompromised are, 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 you know, dying and the ones who are surviving are surviving, right? So they have some uh, natural immunity. I think people are panicking because they don't want to take two steps back, mm -hmm. but it took so far to get here, yes. you know? Yes, So even though uh, that quote that was brought up from... I think someone who's likely very credible in South Africa is saying, although it's, you know, very, it's very prominent here, the people aren't getting that sick. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that yeah. is important. Yeah. And I think it's, I oh. mean, I, I do. It's the, I don't think, I don't think that that's not important. And I am by no means intending to, um, to, uh, uh, to, to imply that that person's information isn't accurate for them. What I'm trying to say is that we have been told so many times now one thing and it was something else that I think there is a natural tendency to be even, we'll say, uber skeptical of anything that anybody says anymore. Mm -hmm. I think that's the issue. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying she's not credible or she's not accurate. Mm -hmm. It's just that we have we've we've heard these stories before. Yeah. Well, this is the director. This is the director that oversees. Uh, it's the director of the medical association for the entire country of South Africa, and she personally has treated a large number of the patients that came mm -hmm. through with this. Remember, it's only a few weeks old. You're only talking a few dozen patients. It's not like 10,000 people got infected with right. this in Africa. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. a few dozen, the last I heard, of, a, mm -hmm. a week or so ago. Mm -hmm. um, and then these countries that I listed, they had like two or three patients. Yeah, not it's like just a couple. Hundreds. But, but, the, but the thing is, Joe, like you said, you know, here, here's the problem. Um, there's been two or three dozen variants, maybe way more than that. They've already gone through the alphabet. Yeah, they, they didn't they, even talk they, about that. They've gone through the alphabet, you know, and then some of the, but they just, the reason this is, called Omicron is that they've already had all the other ones and they haven't used this particular letter yet. But there's there's been a bunch that they haven't even assigned a letter to, I think. But this particular one, by the way, this there was, it was primarily one patient that was dealing with the disease for an extended period of time and couldn't quite get over it and didn't quite get died from it. So the this particular um, uh, virus stayed into the, her or his his or her system for many weeks, and during that time, went through many iterations, many variants and evolutions almost. And when they finally got uh, contagious again and got released, and they got other people diagnosed, 
they found all over 34 mutations on this one virus, and it largely occurred on the, on the one person that had it in their system for a long time. So they thought this was kind of interesting, that it was, it's a mutation, but it, it has a little bit of an element of an evolutionary effect, mm -hmm. which as you know, Joe, uh, these things generally don't evolutionize, they just randomly change. And, but there's a couple things in this variant out of the 34 uh, differences that they see on this one that are a little bit evolutionary. So that was kind of, of concern. And then, of course, the different spikes and things that we may or may not be uh, being immune, to, immune, immune against right now because of the changes are the areas of concern. But the people that got the disease with this variant is one of the more mild, more, more innocent versions of the illness for COVID that we've seen. So mm. I just think what that's important. So you can you well, can be, you know, that's actually what's happening though. On the ground, the boots mm -hmm. on the ground are this is a very, very mild mm -hmm. version well, of COVID nineteen. Just for people, because I actually when I I must have read some of the same information you had, John, just sort of on my own. And I remember sort of wanting to understand what variant of concern meant. So I, I, I did a little reading, and I have it here on my phone. I'll just summarize briefly for anybody who's interested. That, that these are the classifications that the World Health Organization uh, is using, which is, I guess, some variant classification that is normally used for um, viruses. So there's variants that are being monitored, VBMs, and those are just ones in existence, ones that they've identified. And it looks like there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, most of them are, are named. Uh, there's a one or two that just have numbers. I guess they were here and then gone and whatever. Then there's variants of interest, and that would be anyone that they're currently monitoring to see what's going to happen to it. Currently, there's none that are classified as a VOI. Then there's variants of concern. Um, so. Only so far, Delta has been a variant of concern, and now the Omicron. And um, then there's the next class classification would be a variant of high consequence, a, VO8, a VOHC. And there are none of those to date, at least that have been identified in the United States. And I was getting all this information off CDC's website. But each of these variants also have lineages, right? Because just because it's the delta doesn't mean it stays the delta. This delta turns into all these different things, and they track those as well. And only if they become a lineage of uh, consequence do they then highlight that it's that specific one. So like the delta, um, the only ones that are variants of concern have a particular designation of like B.1.617.2 and the AY lineages, which I don't know exactly what that means, but I assume it's those certain mutations within Delta that are causing people to get sick. Mm -hmm. So there yeah. really hasn't been that. I think that's another reason people are panicking is because this is only the second time there's been a VOC and the Delta, you know, that was our last big wave. And it, it, it was just like you said, we kind of thought we had survived enough and we were pulling back some of the social distancing and all of those things because vaccinations were up and then people got sick mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think to say that Delta is not a, 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 a variant of high consequence is naive because it was 
very consequential. Well, I think there's specific classifications uh, for that. No, I recognize that. I do understand that. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying that I think Delta was a variant of high consequence. I think it was, in fact, highly consequential. Uh, and the number of people that got sick, the number of people that died, um, and uh, what it did to our overall society. Yeah, I, and, and again, so I don't know how bad it needs to get for it to be of high consequence. Well, I'll, but it's I'll tell be you what the, the attributes of what they are, because of course it's a classification system, so you have to meet certain things. The um, what they say is impact on medical countermeasures or MCMs. So it must demonstrate failure of diagnostic test targets. It must have ev uh, evidence to suggest a significant reduction in vaccine effectiveness, a disproportionately high number of infections in vaccinated people, or very low vaccine-induced uh, vaccine protection against severe disease, significantly reduced susceptibility to multiple um, emergency youth authorizations or approved therapeutics, and more severe clinical disease increased hospitalization. So it has to meet those things for it to be a variant of high consequence. Mm -hmm. So they don't dare say that the vaccine wasn't effective because then it would make it of high consequence. So, so let's just say that the vaccines worked, which I think they did. I, I think mean, I think you're, you're, you're trying to get a little controversial there. There's no evidence that they have not. Me? Controversial? <laughs> not me. Anyway, so that's so, just for anybody who was sort of interested because... I was curious, since they were calling this a VOC, mm -hmm. how important is that? What what have we called the ones before? Mm -hmm. You know. No, I think those are very good. I think those are very good points, and I appreciate you doing that. That was very, that was I was I was quite uh, informative. So I, I think one of the things that bothers me a lot about understanding viruses, and one of the reasons why we're going to be doing an entire segment um, on viruses with a an actual virologist. Uh, who knows this stuff uh, when we're in uh, when we're in New Orleans? So that's one of the plans that we have for the New Orleans conference in the beginning of the uh, of the thing because this is a big topic. Mm -hmm. But this idea that vi and 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 not to say we did here, but I think people think this that viruses say to themselves, "Well, we want to continue to live, so uh, we're going to continue to change." in order to do that um, is, is, is not really how they work. No, it's just it's and, sloppy, you know, sloppy or right. quick uh, uh, reproduction. Yes. And so they just make mistakes. But the, right. But the reason why a virus proliferates mm -hmm. accidentally, why, what makes it so, so widespread, becomes a pandemic or whatever it may, or becoming endemic, as the case may be, is that the more highly transmissible and the less immediately deadly right. the virus is, the more likely it's going to spread. So it's as if we are the ones that, that are the facilitators to the virus. We get it. We have it. We have it for two weeks before we have any symptoms. We've given it to a ton of people right. before we ever realize that we're sick. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the, 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 the mystery behind these viruses. The virus doesn't, doesn't change in order to accomplish that. Right, it's not it's smart. Just, if a virus <laughs> hits you and like, like Ebola hits you and kills you, 
immediately. It's just simply you don't have time to transmit it to people. Unless but if it, Ebola... Unless it has a had, reservoir, right? Right. If Ebola had a much longer incubation period, like HIV. Yeah. HIV right. was great. Now, it wasn't transmissible as easily as a respiratory virus well, is. Culturally, so, at that time period, it was, right? Well, it was not like a respiratory virus. Right. Right. So, again, that so those things that are not controlled by the virus in any mm -hmm. way are really more controlled by us in terms of all of this happening. And, and, and I find it just a fascinating subject. I, I'll well, tell you what, I've, I always, you know, I mean, you, you, I had basic understanding of viruses, but mm -hmm. I've never really understood so much about them until this recent well, episode. I find it very, it's a very fascinating subject. And if, if really, if someone sat down and thought about it, you don't even have to really understand viruses. If they just understood what you just said, you just explained exactly why social distancing works. Yes. Right? Yes. And why that was so effective before we had vaccines. Yes. Yes. Because we're the ones making it successful. Yes. Right? Exactly. Exactly. No, that's very, very true. Yeah. And, you know, although I don't think masks are highly effective, they I mean, do they may something. 3% maybe, I think is the, is the, uh, is the, uh, but 3% is better than 0%, and, right? And perhaps, you know, we'll have a... It, what did Matt say earlier? Some, some blood flow, flow is better, better than, than no, no blood flow, yeah. right? So 3% is better than 0%. It's, it's not very effective, but it, it's, it's, if you add it all up, then it makes sense. Hand washing, all that. I mean, look at what happened to the flu last year. Right. It almost didn't exist. Right. Remember that article I read about because there were masks worn, the, the flu was so mild? Yes. Yeah, almost non-existent. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to me that it didn't get, that it's not eradicated. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. How it's not eradicated is beyond me. But anyway. Okay. John, great show. Great yeah. program. We enjoyed it very much. Um, I, I enjoyed your gem of the week. I thought it was very uh, uh, timely it was and needed, necessary. So thank you very much for that. Tammy, excellent program on the uh, Journal Club. That was a very interesting case. I really enjoyed it. Matt and Joey, I know you guys are busy in Vanderbilt, but for those watching, we appreciate so much Absolutely. their effort in this. I think that that program is amazing at how many heart transplants they do and what they're doing to increase the number of what do we have to do uh, to get a potential... ride along that's what i want to do i want to do a ride along yeah that's what i want to do i don't want to do that damn case but i want to watch i just that want to damn... watch it. i want to watch it exactly yeah. um but to increase the number of, of 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 donor hearts and helping some of these recipients so are we ready to do the uh the wheel yeah okay so the prize winner today is going to be me because i never win anything and it's gonna be me do today. we have any questions I have a question. I had plenty. <laughs> so we're going to go to the wheel. I'm looking for the wheel. Where's the wheel today? Find the wheel. There's the wheel. Okay. All right, I got to share the screen again. Yeah. Okay. Screen and mirror. There it is. Okay. Yep. You got it? Did it come up? Yes. There Do it is. Do we have sound before she hits this? Because it's no fun without the sound. Okay. All right. Well, let's give it a go. Ready? Go. Put your finger away. If you're going to win, you can't spin. There's no sound. There's no sound. There is sound. 
Oh, okay. okay. So just no sound for us. We don't get any fun. Okay. Nope, nope. Let's go back to extra No, ball. I want a ball cap. <laughs> yes, on the first spin. I've got a ball cap. I'm going to pick one out, and I'm going to wear it on nope, the next I'll show. No, I'll spin it for you again. I don't think You're so. You're spinning it for me again? Okay. I want you to get something different. What is going on? Oh, okay. And well, I win a $10 no, Amazon you, no, card. No, no, no. I want you to get this. So I get extra call. <laughs> All right. Okay. No, see? See? You know, my luck is changing. I always knew it would. Yeah, Up I guess finally. finally. I'm getting the ball cap. John, thank you very much. It was good seeing you. Tammy, yep. great show. Appreciate everybody. We'll see you December 16th for a double perf web, one that I had to cancel and one that I'm going to do. And uh, John, if you want to join us, please do. I'm glad you're doing well. And everybody, I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And we're going to get the last one for 2021 done. We're going to start back up again late January. We're going to get the schedule out. We're going to have this studio completely retooled. You're going to see a whole new look with all new technology. Uh, David and Magic over there have invested a tremendous amount of HET's money and MediWeb's money into buying all of this neat stuff. We're going to have some I thought some you were going to say time, effort, dedication. They've invested tremendous amount of time, effort, and dedication. And, and, and MediWeb and HET's money that we don't have. And, uh, but you know what? We have fun. It's enjoyable. I think that it brings value to our community. It's something that I see as worthwhile to do. And uh, I, there's no question. I say this. I've said this before. I've said, I haven't said it for a long time. So say it. We're number one on YouTube. We're number one on Facebook. We're number one on the Twitter. And that's simply because we are number one. And uh, 2022 is going to be a new year with a lot of neat stuff. And new cameras, simulations, new green screen, new studio look. You're just going to really, I think, enjoy yourself. So I'm looking forward to seeing But I'll see you on the 16th. It'll still be the same on that day. And we'll get through this. And uh, thank you all again very much for supporting us and being a part of our system. And we'll see you uh, on the 16th. Have a great Peace day. Peace out. Bye.